As has already been mentioned, how blessed indeed we've each been to be able to gather this Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the third Sunday, of course, in the year of 2019. And we're so honored that we can be called the children of God and offer to Him a service that He will find pleasing and acceptable. You may have already noticed in the songs that we've sung, the encouraging lessons we've considered, they've prepared us now for at least a few moments of consideration of a lesson I've entitled, Technology and Social Media. There will be many aspects of this lesson that may offer elements of challenge or at least things unusual, but I do feel that by proper consideration of the Word of God, we'll be ready to be encouraged and be ready to give serious reflection to some of the things the Bible would have to say. This opening slide is likely not going to be a surprising one. You know, as you read from the opening chapter of Genesis to the closing chapter of Revelation, you'll not find the word Facebook anywhere. You'll not find the word Internet anywhere. You'll not find Twitter. Those words just aren't in the Bible. And we all understand why. While our Savior walked upon earth, there was no Internet. There was no Facebook. There was no computer back then. Some might be, perhaps in a modern day, say, well, look, they didn't then face the same challenges we do. There's a principle you and I must embed strongly into the psyche of our mind, and it's this. The Word of God has within it principles has within it precepts that answer every civilization, no matter where they may be or when they may occur. And therefore, those tribes living on the western edge of Africa, they need the Bible and the precepts in it just as much as the most intelligent people in New York City. And what's more, folks like you and me today, Though we may live with computers and we may live with the challenges they face, in principle, it's exactly the same kinds of things that they faced centuries ago. Today, let's open the Word of God and let's allow it to set before us some thoughts, some principles, some things that can help us as we do maneuver within a society that has so much technology and so much social media. This next slide will be one that starts, I hope, in a very positive way. Isn't it fascinating to consider the sheer capability of what computers and the things attached to them offer to us? On that slide, there are at least a few statistics. You and I often hold in our hand a cell phone. Sometimes it's a smartphone, but even if it isn't, Still, it's remarkable to think that you can pick up that phone and talk to somebody in Australia. And they can pick up the phone and talk to you. You can carry on conversation with them. It's really an amazing thing. And yet, the technology that goes with it, the computers and the other things. What if I were to mention Google? You know, I suppose all of us have reached the point in society now we can open up Google and search for almost anything we want. If there's something we've forgotten, we can ask Google about it. On that slide, you may note this. Every single month, every month, Google processes 100 million searches. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that show us how often we as a society use Google? How often we open it up and search for something, finding something, gleaning some information? 
100 million searches a month translates, as you can tell on that slide, to 40,000 every second. 40,000 Google searches every second. To say that it has become an embedded part of our society is perhaps an understatement. But to say it all like that says this. Quite often, I suppose, our mind rushes to a lot of negative things the Internet offers. But may we never forget, there's a tremendous possibility of good. You know, many of us also allow the Bible to be read to us. While you're driving in your car or perhaps while you're sitting in a quiet time at lunch, you can open up the Bible and there's a Bible app that will allow it to reading of the Scripture or some study of the considerations of it. You can pull up maps of various things in the Bible, descriptions of the characters. It's truly amazing, even in that regard, what positive things are at least accessible to. I would submit that there's other things good about it. You know, you can talk to your wife. During the daytime, when perhaps I'm at work, Denise is at work, I can let her know I've made it to work. She can let me know if there's an issue or problem in her life. We can maintain contact and conversation that way. In the midst of what then can be so negative, may we not lose sight of what great blessings of good there can also be. As we close that slide, might we say this. In the midst of all of that potential good, the devil has also learned to use the Internet. And he's learned, of course, to use many of those things in ways that are not so good. Let's at least remind ourselves of them and use this lesson so that we can at least be mindful of what those dangers are and that we might be on guard for them. To do that, let's begin with number two. I've simply entitled it Isolation. As we develop that point, I think it'll be rather, fairly evident. But let's begin like this. You and I live in a world that currently is racing toward a population of 8 billion we are now at well over 7.7 billion. There's a lot of people living on this planet. And yet, as you and I so readily appreciate, look at how many of them are Internet users. Over 4.2 billion. In other words, well over half of all the people on this planet are regular, conf confident, and comfortable users of the Internet. That means there's a lot of opportunities for evil to appear because a lot of people are under the influence of the devil. But one thing about it that is perhaps an innocent observation is this one. It is awfully easy to become isolated. I can sit down at the computer and I can be focused on what I'm doing in my own created world of the Internet with a little thought about what may be going on outside that world. I can pull up my internet, my email, my Twitter, my Google, my Instagram, and on and on the list seems to go, and I can focus on me with little regard for what anybody else may be facing, the issues that may be theirs, and the problems that might also come their way. One of the things that sociologists have often noted is with all of this technology, we can create our own world the way we like it, and we can choose to live in it vast amounts of the time. In other words, there's a danger of being isolated. Look at some of these verses, though, that wager a strong consideration against that. I would ask you to note this. 
According to statistics, there's a new user coming online every 10 seconds. Worldwide, a new internet user for the first time every 10 seconds. And yet again, the temptation can easily be, I'll make my world the way I want it. Whatever sins may be there, whatever ways of perspective that I might choose. But the Bible has something different to say about that. Could I invite you to consider Philippians 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. Jesus came to this world to embed in the thinking of those that would love Him a mentality of consideration and love for people. A realization that I've got to in fact love others to the point where I would wish them to be saved and I would hope that things will turn in their attention toward the things of the Lord. And yet, again, we can easily create our world of isolation. Other verses that have much to say about that would be Mark 12, 31. The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If I stay on my computer all the time in the world I've created with little interest or thought in anything that may be others, does that exhibit love to them? Does it show them the manifestation of the nature of the love of God for them? In many ways, that answer is bound to be no. One last thing about that point. Social media can then become a consuming thing to the point where you and I might be tempted to become isolated. How often have you and I at least given thought, perhaps it being youngsters, but it could also be those that are older. That young teenage boy or girl goes to the room and closes the door and spends hours on the computer if we let them because they again can talk to their friends, they can speak in whatever ways they might like in a very isolated way, sometimes not even much discussion with their own family members. Philippians verse number, I'm sorry, Philemon verse number 6 reminds us there that even the Apostle Paul as he wrote to Philemon, he pointed out the nature of how important proper fellowship and communication was. With that point perhaps considered, let's use it to consider another one, another potential danger. I suspect this is one that we would easily have anticipated, but studies overwhelmingly show it to be an issue. With such instant access to the Internet, to cell phones, and the other things that all of that makes available, there's becoming less and less selected times that people choose for meditation. Maybe there was a time when individuals might open up the Bible and devote five minutes. Well, now I whip out that cell phone and I'm searching over the internet pages that I easily look at. I look at sports scores or I'm looking at other things like Facebook or Twitter. Seems to be there's less and less choice of clear cut time for meditation. May I submit that's a problem for those that would wish to please God at least. Because the Bible not only suggests it, it commands it. We must be those who invest acceptable and appropriate amounts of time in meditation on the things of God. Could I invite you to consider texts like this one? I prefaced it with a statistic that you may find about as surprising as I did. I really didn't expect it to be that much. 
one billion hours of YouTube are looked at every single day. A billion hours of YouTube video streamed every day. Again, you can see the temptation. I whip out and look at this YouTube video instead of devoting a few moments of meditation, either in prayer or in reflecting on the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 1, the inspired writer of the long ago said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We can stop right there. That individual that is found pleasing and acceptable to God will devote and invest significant, at least adequate amounts of time in meditation. May I say it isn't wrong to have a cell phone, but if we allow it to encroach too much on times of meditation, we've made a mistake. We're allowing it to go too far. May we turn off that cell phone at, at enough times to where we can meditate on the Word of God, thinking about what it has to say. In Acts 17, 11, what could be said about the congregations in Berea? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. On the top of this next slide, that thought continues. The words that Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15 about meditation, he told Timothy, you got to meditate on these things. May I again say, though we may have our Facebook and may we may have those other things, may we never allow it to go too far in our usage to where we do not allow appropriate times of reflection and meditation on spiritual things. The last comment about that perhaps would be this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. You'll notice approving, approval before God. He didn't say anything about Facebook, and he didn't say anything about the others, but he did say the need to handle aright the Word of God. So as we utilize this technology and as we utilize it in various ways in our life, may we never allow it to become inappropriate to the point where we have inched away from any times of meditation at all. Now that will reappear in another point in just a moment, but let's come to number th the next one, which is privacy. With all of this access to modern social media, there is a real danger that there's no longer enough privacy. There are individuals who broadcast for the world to see what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, and how I'm doing it. And anybody that cares to look can gain a viewpoint and understanding of not only where you are, but what you're doing, even if I have not the slightest care about it. I would have to say that too is a point of concern. I recall that our Lord said, go into your closet, and there you speak to your Heavenly Father in private. He didn't intend for us to broadcast for the whole world to see everything about my life for yours, regardless how minor, how trivial, how uninteresting it might be. And yet there are some who seemingly feel a need to broadcast this information to at least make it accessible to others. We've got to be careful. And we need to make sure our youngsters don't grow up thinking that mentality is the expected one. 
as families, we need to ensure a degree of privacy. You shouldn't want the whole world to know when you're on vacation. Every thief around then can easily know there's nobody home. Or if you let them know that, well, there's a car there and I know they're away. That means that car is easy pickings for thievery. Now, maybe those points are exaggerated, but still the logic is there. Not only that, the elements of your life are mine. We ought to take a bit of consideration and con for the nature and well-being of our families. We ought to highlight some elements in that privacy and to appreciate this is our time and we do not want others encroaching on the reality and the blessing of it. When it comes to privacy like that, I would mention family time. Now, when the times come that parents and their children are enjoying time together, even if it's watching television or sharing meals or riding in the car, those are times to be treasured. If the children, though you may be riding in the car, if they're always on the cell phone and always talking with other people, that means they're not engaging with parents and they're not engaging with the nature of those kinds of matters. It does offer, again, a problem privacy. You may notice some of these verses. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has something to say about that. It's that passage I known, noted a moment ago, namely, enter into your closet and speak to your heavenly Father in secret, and he which heareth in secret will reward you openly. There was certainly something to be said for privacy and something to be said for a singular dedication and devotion without the distraction or interference that might come again from those that are much without. Another verse we might add to that one in Mark 1.35. Inasmuch as we're ordered to have the mind of Christ in us, look at what the Lord did. He got up early in the morning, not to play on the cell phone and not to play on the internet, but got up early in the morning to pray. And he went out to a solitary place and did it. May I say again, we might need to take careful note to turn off that cell phone or leave it behind, at least for a little while, while we invest in something of great value, be it with our spouse, our children, or maybe even, of course, times in other places, something that's very valuable to us. And we don't need it to be distracted by what takes place with a cell phone. After the subject of privacy, let's look at the next one. May I say that language can be an issue. The speech that occurs, again, in light of such common usage in social media. Now myself, I, I am not a Facebook user. I can only read those reports of those who are. And so I do trust that the studies of sociology clearly would have no reason to, to, to say that which isn't true. But as you give thought to the language it appears in it, there's certainly dangers, and may I say there's maybe a danger that is not one that's easily recognized, but it is becoming a problem. In fact, with a small bit of thought, you could easily see how it is. I can well remember the time when there was no cell phone, and I'm sure many of you can as well. The communication you had with somebody was somebody was face-to-face. -face. You'd speak to this person. And in so doing, you could see their facial expressions. You knew how to react when you offended them, and you knew how they reacted 
when you offended them. But may I say, that is becoming a lost art. We are raising one or two generations now who do not know how to interact with people. They say the first thing that comes to their mind, regardless how offensive it may be, because that's all they've ever done is write it in a text. And you cannot see the facial expression of anybody and you don't know how to deal with that kind of situation. Those who have written articles and studies say that those who are interviewing people for jobs, people are coming in and they interview for a job and they say the first thing that comes to their mind, regardless how inappropriate it is, regardless how foolish it is, they've never learned to tame what they say because all they've ever done is immediately write the first thing that comes to mind. With language, that's a problem. We're urged in the Word of God that we must be much more cautious than that. Look at the top of this slide. Aren't we taught in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, we're going to give an account to God for every idle word we speak. And we're going to have to be judged based on it. That means then as we write things in text, we need to always use proper language. Just because we're not looking at the person face to face, that does not excuse us to write something evil or something inappropriate or something ungodly. That language needs to be utilized correctly and it needs to present the utmost of our desire to please God in what we say. You might also notice in 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 10, that there's a strong element of accountability that's echoed later in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're supposed to glorify Him. Colossians 3, 17, in that even which we text or write or tweet or whatever may be the mechanism that we happen to be using. Language. It's a vitally important matter. May I also say, all of these other so-called social media platforms can easily allow gossip if we aren't careful. We Did you hear what happened to them or her? Or did you see what he or she did? Now, often it is stated in a much more interesting and aloof way than that, but we must be cautious. The Bible still condemns gossip. Whether it's spoken or whether it's tweeted, however it's done, it's all condemned. Proverbs 26, 20. And so we again have got to be cautious. One by one, as you give thought to these dangers, look at the next one, number six. The spirit behind what is done. The warning here is a very simple one. Everything that we do, whether it be something we speak verbally or whether it be some communication we utilize in light of Facebook or, again, some social media platform, as Christians, we are commanded. We've got to follow the Spirit, and that's capital S, the Spirit of God. What we say, how we say it, needs to be guided by the principles and precepts of the Holy Word of God. Does that always describe my usage of Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Or do I do some things that are shady, dicey, questionable? If so, I'm not following the Spirit. The Holy Spirit would not look upon that and give a statement of approval if I'm kind of doing things that are less than godly. If they are bordering on the verge of evil, 
And yet we know how easily that is to happen. Look at some of these verses with me. In the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, we have so much to remind us about the work of the Spirit in our lives. And verse number 6 plainly points out that if we are not of the Spirit, then we're of the flesh, and we cannot please God like that. Now that's a strong statement, isn't it? May I call to your attention verses 11 and 14 of that same chapter that highlight that as you and I walk after the Spirit, then we do not follow the flesh. It's a sobering thought to consider then these avenues, these social media avenues. It's true, they can be used to such good, but due to these dangers, there clearly is much influence that's not so good. And the devil can use it to inch away at the life of a faithful Christian to where ultimately the appearance of the Spirit's not to be found hardly at all. That danger maybe is highlighted. What's our point of focus of using these things? When I tweet or when I send Instagram messages, is it merely to highlight the carnal fleshly side of life? Is that all I ever do? If so, where is the Spirit in this? Does it lift high the banner of godly truth and does it call people to recognize there's a higher goal than this? Did Jesus say in Mark 8, 36, if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul, he has not come out the winner. He's lost it all. How am I using these social media platforms? Do the people who know I'm using it, are they brought to be closer to God by how I'm using it? Or do they only notice the physical side of life? If so, I perhaps ought to think about this. Maybe I'm not including enough of godly matter on this material. Maybe one final thought, and it attaches to number seven, self-glorification. We each know what that word means. It's glorifying self. As I mentioned, that ties pretty closely to number six. The usage of all this social media platform, am I using it only to elevate myself? Look what I've got, my car, my house, Look at the promotion that I received. Do you notice how often the pronoun I is appearing? If all I'm ever doing is elevating self, may I suggest that's the very opposite of what the New Testament says I should do. Now, it isn't wrong to be thankful for these things and to make observation of them, I'm sure. But if that's all I'm ever doing, look at my picture, look at my haircut, look at the new clothes I got. Do you like my shoes? What about my car? I painted my house today. If all I'm ever doing is highlighting the physical side of the glorifying of my life, is that not a sin? Is that not lifting high what ought not be the sole center and focus of everything? Look with me at some of these verses. It was read a moment ago from Galatians 5. Could I direct your attention back to it again? For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other. May we place a strong stake of appreciation here. They are contrary. You and I realize we may want to hold both, one in each hand, but it cannot be done. If we're following the Spirit, we cannot follow the flesh, and vice versa.
If we're the servant of God, we won't always be lifting high the banner of self-glorifying matters. Look at this additional verse. What about Matthew 6, verse number 1? In fact, throughout the first 18 verses of that chapter, Jesus highlighted in a very dramatic way the evil of self-exaltation. He did it by three specific examples. One he mentioned was fasting. When you fast, don't make, don't do it so that everybody else knows what you're doing. Don't disfigure your face. Don't put sackcloth on just for the purpose of everybody else can see what you're doing. And when you give, you make sure not everybody knows what's going on. You give in secret. You give in private. And when you pray, don't you pray in public just so everybody else can hear you. You pray privately, secretly, from the heart. May I say that when we use these social media platforms, may we never lose sight of our anchor should be in truth to please God. And if we can use it to lead somebody to Christ, that's wonderful. But if it's all about me, I think I need to question what my motivation is for doing it. And I ought to question the pursuit, the perspective that's guiding my usage of these social media things. As you think about that attribute of self-glorification, there's a principle that Paul stated in 2 Corinthians. It's highlighted in chapter 12, verse number 10. It is an appreciation in which, again, long before the day when there was any cell phones or even in computers, Paul spoke such sweet power and beauty as he related to his own thorn in the flesh. And he highlighted that I'm the strongest when in fact my weaknesses are evident. Isn't it true that so often, of course, on these social media platforms, people only show you what they want you to see? Look at my pretty suit of clothes. They don't show you how ugly they were when they came in from the field. And they don't show you how disfigured they may have been after working all day. They don't show pictures of that. Again, if we aren't careful, you can discolor things to the point that you give it the impression that's not really the truth. Well, again, one must be careful. This self-glorification can go much too far. Do you and I brag when we use this social media? Look at what I've got. Look at what I've done. Look at what happened to me. And all the while, again, that can lead into jealousy. And it can lead into other very serious problems. Almost certainly the most difficult would be envy. We've had lessons about envy before, and I think we each found it challenging, and it's something the Bible warns us about. When I look at these social media pictures, someone else, I wish I had that. Look at that car he bought. And he's now on vacation? Where did he get all the money? I sure do wish I had some of it. Or look at the house he just bought. And his wife, where's that ring? Where are they getting all that money? And you know, after a few weeks or a few months of thinking along that line, the devil will find a way to bring envy into your heart. And when you'll start thinking, you'll start not liking that person. You no longer will love him the way a Christian should you'll start having a degree of resentfulness. And after a while, it'll turn into envy. And you know envy will send you and me to hell. 
Galatians 5, 19 and following says, Envy is a work of the devil, and you can't go to heaven this way. So again, may I say that we've got to be careful. Even if someone else chooses to use his or her social media platform that way, if by looking at it, it's leading me to have thoughts like this, i got to stop looking at it. You choose to break friendship, at least online, with this person. If it's causing you and me to sin, we've got to stop it. Heaven is worth too much, and hell is too bad. And so, may I say, we've got to examine our usage of social media. If it's leading me to have thoughts I shouldn't have, if it's leading me to think things I ought not think, I've got to be disciplined enough to stop it. I may not control what other people put on there, but I can control what I look at, and I've got to stop it. We've got to be strong enough to do that if that's the needfulness of the day. May I say one last thing, and the lesson is yours. The last matter of consideration, I've chosen the word prodigal. We know what the word prodigal means, of course, in light of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, but it's wastefulness. That's what the word prodigal means. Did you note this? We've already listed today the number of hours that the average person spends every day on social media. 116 minutes on average, every person, every day. That's almost two hours. Almost two hours. If I'm not careful, I could allow social media to waste my time, waste my energy, waste my resources, waste what opportunities I could be doing something more profitable than sitting in front of a computer or the cell phone for all that time every day. Now again, may I say, that's a choice, that's an observation we've got to make. You'll notice these verses. God has blessed every one of us with time and with opportunities. And 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says we are demanded by Him to be good stewards of it. If I'm using, and notice I said a moment ago, the average is 116 minutes. If that's the average, some people are spending four and five hours a day just on social media. Do you think that's a wise use of time? Do you suppose that's a wise use of resources? It certainly seems fair to say that that much would be excessive. May you and I then be very mindful. Am I using this time wisely? We are commanded in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 to redeem the time, to walk circumspectly, and if I'm inappropriately using my social media accounts, if I'm extending far more time than I could be, and I am, instead of praying or studying the Bible or doing other productive things, I'm investing it all in social media. That's highlighting personal matters, things of self-glorification, then I have made some poor choices. I hope this lesson today has been a reminder for each of us that we live in a world and the devil has been a master at already using social media in so many ways that's harmful. So many ways to even inch his way into the life of what otherwise would be faithful Christians. May we each appreciate that it can be a good tool as long as we use it rightly. Let's close this lesson like this. God has endowed the human family with the capability of scientific invention, 
and social media and technology has truly been a masterful example. But of course, with that invention comes obligation, and we as Christians would always desire to even use these in a way that's good and in a way that God would find pleasing. As we each analyze ourselves and examine ourselves, if you or I have stepped beyond a correct usage of social media, you can change, I can change, we can make a redirection, and we can begin to use it correctly and fill all that time perhaps with something more notable, profitable, and productive for God. I hope today that as we do that analysis of life, if there's one or more in this audience that's in need of coming forward today, maybe to pray for strength, we want you to know we'd love to do that. If you'd like to confess error, we'd certainly be happy to make note of that as well. If in any way we could be of assistance, we'd like to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.